Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. I'm Alex Penais, the founder of ScaleMath. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the Remote Work Drive podcast, Alex. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what the most exciting thing you're working on right now with ScaleMath? Sure. Um, I think so. The most exciting thing for me, for sure, would have to be scale math. Um, it's the core thing that we're focused on at the moment. Uh, that being said, scale math itself is also working on something software related, which is unfortunately all still behind the scenes at, at the moment. But if anything, I think it's a great testament to who and uh, what we are as a company. Uh, a lot of agencies in the software industry are in the software industry or operate in this space for um, and I think you'll agree with me on this for, for no other reason than it's quite a good market to be in, especially now with a lot of companies going remote. Um, but we truly obsess over product, uh, product strategy and the entire customer experience through to things like customer support. That's always been part of our DNA. And as you can probably imagine, that's quite a bit different to be doing when it, it's a product of your own. So, so getting into this side of things has provided a lot of insight that is feeding over to the advisory and services side of, of what we do. I love it. And what made you decide, hey, we're going to go ahead and in addition to like working with our clients, we're also going to build our own product? Um, I think a, a big part of it was, A, it's something that we're building for, for our own need. It's definitely that. So we're going to be user number zero and the clients that we work with are going to be user number one um, is how I see it. Uh, the other the other reason is also we didn't we didn't get into working with software companies because we saw it as an opportunity which is i think what a lot of people do and there's there's i guess from a business perspective there's definitely merit to that there's a lot of potential um in the software space still uh, to, to break through with new products but at the same time we see it from a from a vision of a we want to be able to provide better service so scale math's vision and mission as a whole um, is to help software companies scale customer acquisition and experience through our services, advisory, and eventually also our software. So that's sort of the, the bigger picture goal. How soon the software side of things comes into it um, is not entirely certain. Our, our core focus still to, to, to the moment is, is the advisory and services side. Um, and we definitely intend to continue running that side of things even after the software product launches. Yeah, I love it. I have so many follow-up questions. One, you've mentioned you're building this as almost like an internal tool within your agency. What have been some of the biggest kind of mindset shifts you've had to make when it comes to developing this product versus, you know, working with clients? Um, I think the biggest one has been because it's something that would replace what we're currently using um, is what what's currently working well with a lot of manual effort and with with some grunt work. Um, we shouldn't try to rip it apart or stop using that properly for the time being. I think there's always, and a lot of people can probably relate to this in, in software companies. There's always like, oh, there's greener pastures over there. We're gonna we're gonna do something and switch over to a, a different tool, and it's gonna make everything better. So I think, especially when it's your own tool uh, and you're using something else for that at the moment, you get into the mindset of, oh, we shouldn't even use this until we have uh, the the our own product ready. But of course, that from a services side doesn't work. So the biggest mindset shift has definitely been the core focus to remain the services side um, and separate the two out as much as possible because they are really two separate companies uh, and completely different beasts in a way. Yeah, that's such a good point. To your point about saying that they're separate kind of companies and differentiating them, how do you as the founder of ScaleMath and also now the founder of this developing product, how do you split up your time 
you know, so that you are giving both attention. Yeah, I, I think a bit of big big part of it is we've always been remote. And with that comes the fact that you have to hire, or at least in my view, you really have to hire if you want to scale people that own the work. So when and we made the mistake, I made the mistake when I first started hiring as well, is you try to hire people to do tasks, to do to to outsource tasks or to delegate the work. And ultimately, I think that's a, a thing that might work, especially if you find good people just as a byproduct of finding people that are good at doing the work. But oftentimes what that results in is you find people that are able to do the work. You might need to walk them through things, but they never really take ownership or take a responsibility in the company. And that, that's always been it for us. And I think we'll continue to be especially more so as we grow has been, I'm not hiring somebody to do X, Y, Z. I'm hiring somebody to take ownership of uh, the output entirely, so the work product, but then also the outcome that it has. So that's more so for strategy roles and more leadership roles is you don't want to just have somebody that takes ownership of, oh, I can produce a really good, let's say in the context of writing, I can produce the best possible blog post. You also want them to make sure they're aligning it with the approach that they're that, that it's actually going to have the outcome that we want it to. So the, the work product obviously has to be to the highest possible standard because we're a service company. Um, for our own you know, software company as well, if we would produce content, it would obviously also want it to be that, to the highest standard. But then beyond that, that it actually achieves the outcome that we want it to have as well. That's such a good point. So if I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit what you're saying, it's like making the differentiation between going from hiring kind of task level ICs to hiring people who can really manage an entire project. Um, or even kind of own an entire aspect of within your agency. Would that be accurate? Yeah, 100%. And I think also it goes a bit further than that because that's one of the other things um, when we started hiring was especially for a, a content agency um, or an SEO agency, the same really applies is you have, you can't really hire. It's very difficult to hire one superstar that replaces you in the business and can sort of wear many hats at once, do everything really well, and also not break down entirely with time. Uh, so for us, what we've we spent 2022 has really been a big year on hiring for us and making sure we are have the system in place to a accept a, a large number of applications, vet them really well, put them through uh, proper testing, and then also onboard them and and make sure they have an enjoyable time of, of working with us. And that was a big part of that was me looking at what would I want out of working for a company. In my view, working for Scale Math realistically should be better than running scale math. I, I think the people that that work for us have more autonomy and work in a system that allows them to play their role, but then the other parts of the system pick up where they leave off. So that's simple things like if, if you hire a technical writer, that you really have them focus on technical writing and producing great work there, that you then also have the other role that comes and picks up the piece of content and gives them feedback and improves it because peer review is a core part of it. But then also you don't want people to be doing sort of, it's easy to add extra responsibilities to a writer's plate, you know, from a simple thing like uploading it to the CMS. Once they're in the system and once they're with scale math, we have the whole process sort of mapped out so that they can focus on that one specific part and doing it to the best of their abilities. Absolutely. And you mentioned something really interesting there, which is, okay, as you're, you mentioned in 2022, you did a lot of hiring. What was some of the steps that you put in place to kind of build out the system that would enable you to be able to hire and hire effectively so that people could really own their roles? 
Um, the biggest thing was uh, we launched a new career site. So I think that was part of it. Um, so employer branding plays a bit of a role. Uh, I always used to think in my head, um, I've never applied for, for a job. I've only ever run scale mass. It was the first thing I ever did um, out of college. So it's very different because I never went through the process of what makes it appealing to, to work somewhere. So of course, as a founder, you think, well, everybody would love to work with us, right? I, I couldn't see why they possibly wouldn't. But a lot of people in the industry haven't heard of us. And I mean, that's still the case to this day. So a big part of it has been positioning ourselves and marketing ourselves as a company that people would want to work for. Because we're not super vocal about what we do um, on the services side. Uh, we don't really do an excellent job of marketing ourselves. That's something that we, we, we do plan on changing. But we haven't really had the need to because our core focus has really been on um, finding a core set of great fit clients and then growing through them with them referring new clients, them growing and then therefore also expanding their engagements with us. So I think it's a combination of uh, branding yourself and making it, giving a bit more insight and transparency into what working with you is like, as a part of which you're also forced to define that much more. So what is the work experience going to be like? Whereas the first hire that you that most companies will, will make is going to enter sort of a, a battlefield. It, it, it usually ends up being it's a bit of a of a mess and they are helping you clear up the situation and sort of give you feedback on things that are way messier than they should be. And then eventually you get to the point where, and, and that's always the goal to, to make it more so the case, that they come into this very calm organization. And that's that's always been the objective for us is we think that it shouldn't be, oh, you have to come in and hit the ground running from day one and you know have a maximum output as soon as possible because it takes time for people to ramp up. The standard should be very high from the beginning, but you have to naturally let people settle in as well. Absolutely. And for a little context for people who maybe haven't heard of ScaleMath before, how, what's your current team structure like today? How many people do you have on the team? You know, how's it, how's your team structured? Yeah. So in the management slash leadership team, um, it's me and two other people, uh, Justin and Vladan. And they're sort of, that's sort of the circle of decision-making is mostly leading through us. Most client communication is, is through us as well. Um, and then we have the technical writer side of things where we hire specifically for the skill set that a client needs. So let's say we're working with a, a company that builds a server management platform specifically for Linux or for, for PHP applications. Then we hire people that have expertise there. Um, and the second part of what we tr do so that we can minimize hiring on our side, but also it comes at a, at a bigger reason for that really is to uh, optimize the budget for the client, is working with in-house resources on product as well, um, which is something we really realized in 2022 is what allows us to maximize our impact without having to charge what a lot of agencies do charge which is if you already have people in-house that know the company, know the product inside out, are probably a part of building the product as a product strategist, they speak directly with customers. Having the proper connection to those people um, and just sort of augmenting their experience with the product, experience in the industry goes much further than you know hiring part-time people to, to extend what they can do because realistically, they're never going to be able to fully replicate it. Um, so the, those are the main roles that we have at the moment. Um, that being said, we do plan to scale the core team beyond this as well um, so that we can do more of what we do. But we've we've been uh, very deliberate about how we've grown ScaleMath, um, and it's something we want to do as well. We did hire quite a lot in, in 2022, but we're scaling back a bit now to reconsider and focus on the core set of clients, having the impact we want and growing sustainably, as has always been the vision, because it can, you can get a bit... A bit um, tied up in growth when you see the opportunity as a service business. Uh, but long term, I think it has more of, of a detriment to the company 
because you take on a client for you know x amount of money and that's great but does it take away from your ability to do work for another company if you then can't hire the next person and you get into this sort of crazy cycle so i think being slow and deliberate has always been our objective and it's definitely what we're going to continue doing yeah that's such a that's such a key point like especially when you see like on the flip side uh like the vc funded companies that are like grow at all cost and then, you know, sometimes, you know, you actually have to make sure you have something to not only a product to back it up and or a really great service like you have to back it up, but also like, you know, you're doing it in a way that's not going to like burn yourself out or burn your team out. Yeah, 100%. And, and a part of another part of why we are getting into software ourselves is from a perspective of who we are as a company and what we do, we've built basically the growth team, the marketing arm of software companies in-house with us, we have the roles to fill that. And we continue to help other companies hire for certain in-house roles, which some roles, it just makes more sense to have in-house at a certain stage. And we help them make hires for those roles. But with the launch of the product that we have coming, we also see it as we already have the roles in place and we continue to hire. So from the perspective of continuing to run the agency side of scale math, um, the services side is that we will be able to benefit from the fact that we have a product of our own. So if we hire a resource, that may only have 50% usage by the time we hire them, the extra 50% will just go towards our own product and producing work for, for us, basically, which still has a return because we'll have them in the system that will allow us to have a return from what we're doing. So that that is where we see the, the product that we're building actually benefiting us and our clients versus it being a distraction. Um, we don't intend to take funding. And I, I definitely agree with you on the point. I sometimes admire the VC like funded approach of hiring. It's just completely irrespective of budget. You know, you can hire somebody and even if they only have a return in seven months from where you hired them, it's sort of irrelevant because the, the cash flow is not really taken into consideration. But most of the companies we work with are bootstrapped um, or have taken a couple of rounds of funding, but are not really heavily funded. We've always been, and even if they are funded, which is a bit of a mindset, mindset, a mindset shift for them, is we try to get them to focus on actually driving profit anyway, versus, oh, let's just experiment with paid ads and, oh, let's, you know, like sort of erratically start testing a bunch of different things all at once versus focusing on profit first, driving revenue with one thing, maximizing one channel, getting the flow going, getting the people in place to continue operating that channel, and then moving to the other thing versus sort of panicking and trying to do everything at once just because you think you can. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think, yeah, I mean, I share the same, I we I think we have very, well, we're in similar industries, but kind of different in the same way. Um, that like, you know, there's definitely a different mentality when you're talking to bootstrappers or mostly bootstrappers versus people who, you know, are clearly trying to go for the VC unicorn path. Like it's a different type of way that you have to think about um, growing. Kind of shifting gears a little bit with your current team and with the hiring you've done recently, were there any, like if you could go back a year for, a year ago, like were there any things that like you wish you would have changed about your hiring approach? Um, yeah, I think earlier on, I was very deliberate and very cautious with making the first hire. I think that was partially me being very protective over the culture we wanted to build and over obsessive over who we have joined our team. I mean, it's easy to say hindsight is always clearer, but mm -hmm. I, I don't think I would do it differently. But I think I was a bit overprotective and panicking over what would happen if we hired the wrong person. 
which is obviously not, you know, it's not necessarily the a problem. If you hire somebody that isn't a great fit, I think it's mutual. You help them find a better place after that and you help them move on. Um, it happens. It's very natural. And we want them to enjoy the work equally as much as, you know, we enjoy having them on the team. But I think, yeah, over obsessing over that. The other thing was once we started getting to the point where we had a couple of people, it was deciding what kind of company culture we wanted to have. You know, do we want to be the company that has meetings? And me personally, I, I don't enjoy that. But then when you hire, everybody's different. So some people came and they enjoyed having meetings. They like having, you know, catch-ups with each other and having somebody to speak to on a remote team, um, which is fine. I think we need to be able to accommodate that as a company. We shouldn't require it as a means of operation. So our entire, you know, way we work, project management, everything, the whole methodology is based around being asynchronous and doing work in writing and all communication being in writing. But having meetings as a team to know each other, get on well overall, I think is always a, an asset. Yeah, absolutely. As that really dives into a topic I want to touch on a little bit more, which is async comms. What are some of the strategies you've used to make sure that you're hiring people on your team who are going to work well in an async first culture? Um, I think it's quite um, relatively become relatively easy now that we've done it a few times to tell from applications. And I would urge people hiring, I, I say, you need to uh, find a way to get far more applications than you probably are getting right now. Because once you have a thousand people apply to a role, probably 90% of them are going to be people that didn't bother to read the instructions of the application. But then in the other 10%, you can actually start to spot differences. If you only have 100 people 90% of which didn't read the application, uh, then you don't really have a big sample size to look at for differences of, did this person really understand the role? Are they really passionate about it? Uh, so it's those things in terms of how they apply. Do they have the attention to detail? Then we also try to give them two types of test tasks, which is one is a writing. So if they're in a writing role, it's of course a writing task. And then we other, the other task we try to give them is a thinking task. So one that actually requires them to come to a conclusion and make a decision about how to do something. Um, which is particularly important. Uh, the other thing is for more senior roles internally is in, instead of thinking that you can go out and hire somebody who is going to be an editor or a strategist is having that person in the weeds doing the actual writing work. Because I think if you can't do a, write, a writing role, which is one of the roles that we actually try to hire first, the strategist role. But if you can't do a writing role, you can't actually do the strategist role because you're not going to know what goes into producing a, a great piece of content. So that was that's a huge other thing is promote internally versus trying to hire a senior person coming from the outside. Because the other thing is they often will bring, and sometimes I guess this can be a good thing. Some companies might have good experiences with this, but they bring a, a different opinion on how things should be done that can often be more disruptive than if you hire somebody really, really talented in a doer position and then eventually have them come up to more of a leadership position later on. Yeah, absolutely. On the topic of like promoting internally, what are some of the things that you look for to figure out when somebody is ready to kind of move into a, you know, another role? Um, the main thing is accountability. So that's one of the biggest things that I, I can imagine you're probably familiar with, with writers as well. And a lot of people will be as well, is uh, a lot of writers tend to not be accountable. And even if, of course, we vet and the people that we do end up bringing on board are very accountable, sometimes they just don't want the extra responsibility. They don't want the extra accountability of having a more senior role. So I think it's those cases. You don't want to, if you're an individual contributor, 
you tend to be happy being an individual contributor. You don't want to be the person that is then the fallback in case your direct report, your individual contributor that's reporting to you doesn't do what they say they're going to do. You don't want to then be responsible for that. So I think it, oftentimes they will be quite honest about it in conversations. And sometimes they'll be very enthusiastic and you can tell that it's for the wrong reasons. If it's purely in terms of getting higher compensation, um, then then it shouldn't be that. Because I think they have to, uh, in, and that's always been my view, some, some VC-funded companies will definitely view this differently. But in my view, an employee has to prove themselves to get a, a promotion. I always think that we should compensate, you know, as much value as the person is bringing to the table, we should compensate accordingly. Um, but if somebody isn't bringing significant value in their role, I don't think it should ever be a question of, oh, they expect to be promoted to a more senior role and then they're going to be you know, able to do more and have, have a bigger impact. I think then they have the complete wrong motivation and they're not really bought into the company at all. Yeah, that's such a great point of only promoting when it's warranted um, instead mm -hmm. of because you're supposed to give a 3% raise you know, at X date. Shifting a bit into like the higher, bigger picture of this, um, what are some of the like systems that you have in place within your agency to kind of ensure that async first culture is strong and everyone's aligned and on the same page? Sure. So the main ones that we have are a strong focus, and it's a, one of our core tenets is that we mainly communicate in writing. Um, so that's the main one. The other is that we do have a weekly team meeting where leadership catches up and we talk about sort of any issues that have come up across client projects, across what they're working on. And it's also an opportunity to just catch up personally so we know what's going on in each other's lives, which I think is important. I don't know if it's something that we'll continue to do as we scale, um, but it's definitely been valuable. I think even for me, it's nice to have a team. A, a lot of people who run remote companies and it's different mindsets, so it's to each their own. Um, they think, you know, it's 100% work and we don't really want to know the other people that we work with beyond just, you know, having them send us what we're paying them to do. Uh, but I think once you look, especially when you hire more senior roles, I found that once you look past just, okay, you're here to do X, Y, Z, I don't really care who you are, you know, what's going on in your life. That's when you start to earn respect and ultimately people will be more bought into doing the best possible work, staying with you for a long period of time. Um, yeah, I think, does that answer your question? I'm more, more so leaning back into the system side. Um, one of the main things that we do is we do a, a check-in every day and every week we do a, a kickoff, which basically sums up um, the things that we absolutely need to get done on everybody's plate for each client account that we work on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, those are such great points. Um, you said something earlier on in our conversation about how you, this was, you know, you went straight out of school and immediately started scale math. Um, and had never worked at like a traditional job as an employee before. Do you think that was kind of a benefit for you in the sense that you maybe were able to kind of carve out your own path and didn't necessarily have preconceived notions about what it was like as an employee? Or yeah, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I think there's the, uh, there's upside and downside to it. When I was first hiring and I I got a bit of help from, you know, I spoke to different recruiters and we spoke about getting the, the roles promoted. And a lot of people said you that my approach to hiring initially had been completely different to how I should be approaching it because I've probably never thought about, you know, what does it take when somebody's in a role to ch transition and leave a role that they're in or what really motivates people, um, and, you know, financially, but then beyond that, how to tell if somebody's motivated. So I think there are parts which I guess as even if I would have worked uh, at a 
full-time in-house at a, at a role, I wouldn't have seen that either unless I would have been interviewing for roles there um, for people to join that company is what people interview like. So when I did the first interview with Vladan, our ops manager now, what was that interview like and what came across in that interview that meant to me that he was a good hire, things like that. The other parts are, yeah, the, the downside, I guess, is I haven't seen what it's like to be motivated over a long period of time at a company and towards a vision. But I, I think the part that you say about not having a preconceived notion is very valid because now I get to do it and we get to be very open with each other, very transparent, very blunt and very candid, which is another one of our core values is being completely candid. So honest, if you don't like, you know, somebody is shouldn't be ashamed to say anything in a meeting ever. Um, and when we started building the product that we we're working on, we're obviously quite open about it internally because we're building it for ourselves. You could tell people's eyes were lighting up when they heard that this is something that we're going to be investing in. This is something that we're doing. And this is one of the bigger, you know, next five to 10 year goals for, for scale math as a company. This is the direction we see ourselves heading in. Um, and I think it's, it's those things figuring out. I never thought that us starting a software product, maybe it was a bit short-sighted, would be so motivating to the people on the agency side. But to them, it's obviously exciting because it's a, a like baby of our own that we get they get to eventually work on growing as well. Um, but it's just exciting for them to be a part of something that is bigger than just a content agency. And I think there's a lot of content agencies out there, um, a lot of freelancers out there. So it's all, always a matter of when you're hiring in this space, especially writing, it's what differentiates a writer from wanting to work freelance versus joining a company like us and it's things like that that give us the opportunity to set ourselves apart which i've noticed recently i guess i should have maybe i should have probably been aware of them than before but yeah that's definitely been exciting to see yeah absolutely and what were some of the resources that kind of help you level up as a leader and as a hiring manager um I think one of the first books that I read um, or the, from the Basecamp team uh, on management, that was the first management book I read uh, to my knowledge. And that one had a big impact because that one shaped uh, a lot of how I approached growing scale math, um, our written communication culture, the fact that we hire people that self-manage. We don't want to introduce work that requires more management. We don't want to hire people that are going to just require being micromanaged, anything like that. So the it doesn't have to be crazy at work is what I think it's called uh, from Jason Fried um, and David, the other Basecamp founder. Yeah, I love that. And okay, when you code your team and like you, whether it's hiring or just kind of managing everyone now, what are some of the like, you know, the benchmarks you have in place to ensure that people are stay accountable and you know, are able to effectively self-manage? Sure. So Justin, um, our, the person who leads content, really, um, he works with them. So we have a, a set amount of, I would say amount of content, but we have a general expectation. We don't have quotas or anything like that with clients because obviously it's more results focused than anything, but we have a general expectation and know, okay, if a content writer or a, a technical content specialist, for example, is working 40 hours a week and we're giving them a piece of content that is definitely going to take them 10 hours of actually doing the thing. Because a lot of the, the content that we produce actually involves them being capable of doing the thing, whether it's doing something in WordPress, as simple as doing something in WordPress, building a feature in WordPress, using something in WordPress, or actually writing codes and including the uh, code, code snippets to including in an article, in a tutorial about how to do something 
you know, obviously very abstract the way I'm describing it now. Um, that that requires time. So we have a general sense of is it realistic how long something is taking, um, and if we start to notice, which we've had uh, last year with somebody, that things take way longer than they really should, um, and we could, you know, if I if I feel obviously it's different as a founder, uh, and that's another thing with uh, managing people is the 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 mindset that if I could take over a task, I could do this in 10% of the time, most likely is true for a lot of founders, especially if they're very enthusiastic and energetic about what they do, is you're going to be able to take over a task from somebody and do it in, you know, some percentage of the time that they actually take to do it. But that's all, that's something that you just have to account for. But then there's a, there's a limit to where it becomes unrealistic almost. Like if I could genuinely do it in 10% of the time that they say that it's taken them, then there's an element of where you have to start to get like, okay, it's a bit suspicious. I think that um, it shouldn't really take somebody that long. Then they're just not suited to the role. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they found it more difficult. Maybe they didn't know how to do it and they had to learn it from scratch, which we don't really want people to have to do because in my view, content should be written by subject matter experts, not somebody who's figuring it out for the first time. Um, and then we try to have an open converse conversation to revisit why, you know, do a postmortem about why did this really take that long? Did you struggle with it? Do you would you prefer to be on less technical content? Would you prefer not to be on this working on this client's account at all, for example? And generally speaking, they open up. It can take time, but eventually they do open up and and then you can find out a path forward from there. Yeah, I love that. And taking your example of, you know, let's say you have a writer on your team who is underperforming. What are the strategies and like tactics we've used to be able to have those sometimes very difficult conversations where it's like, hey, like you're not measuring up, like, you know, how can I help you here? Like, how have you been able to approach those situations and either rectify them or figure out a path where, you know, a better path? Um, so the main the main thing that's helped is we really make it very clear in our onboarding that if you're struggling with somebody, you speak up as soon as you're struggling. You over communicate versus under communicate, Be especially because it's all asynchronous. So it's not like somebody messaging at 1 a.m. if they're struggling with something or, you know, because of the time, time change. It's not like that's going to disturb the other person. So we really want people to over communicate in writing before it's too late, before it becomes a problem. So if you if, if a technical writer says, I've never dealt with this technology, that should be said the moment the piece of content is assigned to them. And they know that because they see the kickoff at the beginning of the week. So it shouldn't be that they get to Wednesday and they finish the, you know, the first two articles that they were working on and they get to the third one. And then they see, oh, I have no idea how to do the third one. Because by that point, it's too late for us to do anything about it. So it's really, really essential that they speak up about it from the very beginning and we have the support obviously internally now which took a while to get there that they can speak to justin versus coming to me so it doesn't feel like oh they have to come to the founder and and own up that they don't know how to do something so it's more of a peer relationship and the same goes for peer review it's very much an equal of okay i want to get an extra pair of eyes on stuff and it's gotten to the point where even i do that now and i think that's important to do is when i write something it equally goes through the same approval and editing process internally and i get feedback on it sometimes harsh from other people on the team which is always funny to see um, but it's obviously helpful and it's for the better it's for the improvement of it um, and at the end the end result is better than it would be if i would just work with you know blinders on and think that what I'm doing is always best. Uh, that's the mindset that we want everybody on the team to have is that feedback is not critical 
in a negative way or it's not critical for the sake of putting you down or making you feel like you're not at the, at the standard you need to be. It's just because we have an incredibly high standard. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. I, I have that as well, because even when we first hired the more senior roles, it was my expectation that they should be able to do this. this they're, higher, they're in a more senior role now. They've been moved up. Why are they not able to do it to the standard that I have? They should be able to do it. But realistically, any company that's working to a really high standard, you need to continuously enforce the standard. And subconsciously, your standard also raises. So if you go back and look at what you may have done six months ago, you probably would have been happy with where the person you've hired is at now. Now, you don't want to ever be truly, truly satisfied and stagnant, in my opinion. I think there should always be an effort to continue getting better at what you do, improving the process, whether that's making it easier for the writer, um, making sure the end result is closer to what you want it to be. And then especially if there's clients in the picture, which is a complete other you know, variable that you can't really control that much. Um, and you hope that the clients come to you because they just trust you with the process. But there, there obviously is an element of them having a say because they know the product, it's their brand, it's their voice that you're essentially augmenting. So having them in the picture earlier on, make sure that you have the standard defined from the beginning. So for, for every writer, we try to limit the number of clients that they're exposed to, but having the, the standard defined from the beginning, having them communicate as directly as possible with the points of contact that we have on the technical side, so that if they have questions, it can be asked. And it's very transparent that, you know, we're going to be honest with clients. If we have no resources, nobody capable of writing a, a piece of content about something, we expect them to provide somebody in-house that can help. If not, that's fine because then it will just take a little bit longer, but that's accepted. And if, if they do have somebody, then if they provide it, it will speed things up and we can ultimately have a bigger impact because we spend less time on doing the thing that they have somebody that could help us with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I feel like something you said there that stood out to me is like, it takes a level of humility as a founder to be able to recognize, hey, like, you know, even myself, like, you know, I'm not, you know, you know there's things that like I should be following the same exact expectations and processes I, that I put on my team. Is that something that you like naturally always been part of your DNA and your personality? Or is that something that you kind of had to learn as you grew into an agency owner and a founder and got a larger team? I think it's definitely been something I've tried to do as early on as possible because I realized, I mean, we are, we do hire as much as I say people should be promoted internally. I think they people should still be hired to fill an, a need. So if I can't, if we, even if we hire a, a, someone in a more junior content role and I can't go to them and get their actual opinion on something that I've written and criticism on something that I've written, because there will always be, it's so subjective and there's so many opinions. So it, it, even if it's, maybe you should go into more detail about this. I feel like this point that you made is sort of cut short. Was there a reason that you cut it short? Is it because you're going to cover that in a separate post? J just throwing around those sort of points or questions, things to discuss are what I think adds so much value. And you can tell a, a good team member when they question things versus a team member who's just like, oh, great, nice work. And, you know, didn't probably even spend that much time looking at it. Yeah, I, that's such a good, that's such a great point. What's your view when it comes to like, as the agency owner, like what's your view on like transparency and like how much should you be sharing with your team? And do you share more of certain people on your readership team versus with, you know, maybe one of your writers, like, how do you kind of view like transparency in the lens of having an a for, a think first culture? 
Um, yeah, our, definitely we're a bit closer with all the people in the leadership are closer and share a bit more. Um, I think in terms of async culture and remote in general, I think there doesn't really need to be um, an element of everybody having a personal relationship because everybody's different. Some people just find that uncomfortable. A lot of people find the concept of having remote um, remote team building activities and games and stuff like that for, you know, before Christmas, a lot of, I saw some, some companies do things like that, which there's merit to. If you've hired people that love that stuff, then awesome, do this stuff. But if there isn't, um, then you don't do that stuff uh, because people are going to find it a bit awkward and are actually going to find it weird. Um, but I, I think there is an element of when you're async, you have to make it clear what the culture is like. If you're really not going to have weekly calls, not going to have personal relationships with people, and you make it seem like that could be the expectation or that could be what they get when they join, then I think you're doing a disservice because the person will join and probably be unhappy after a few months of you know lacking any sort of connection to the team emotionally. Um, and then they're going to want to leave. So I think it's a combination of defining what you really want the company to be like. And we've come to the point now, we're not big enough where we you know only hire a certain type of person or require people to be um, to overshare of that, that definitely not, or be a certain level of transparent. We encourage transparency and people to be candid. And we can tell when people are and aren't. But especially early on um, and more junior roles, people tend to be less candid. They don't want to really talk about what, they, what they're doing. And when they join a meeting, it's very driven, especially if it's during the day and not the, at the end of the day. When we're in a meeting, it's you know straight to work. We don't have to really talk about things outside of that. So the level of sharing is in a way up to the employee. But then there's definitely a question of once you get to a certain point, which I think we've not really gotten to the point where it's such a consideration, is if you have two identical candidates and one fits better in terms of wanting to share more, or let's say you have a candidate that's a bit more sociable in comparison to how you think the rest of your team is sociable, but they might be a little bit worse in terms of work product or the tests that they've done, who do you end up hiring? I think for us, that's never really, it's never really come to the question. We really do hire for skill first. We've never then looked at, oh, this person came across better in the interview from a social standpoint, they were more open. I think it subconsciously, yes, there's always going to be bias there, but hiring for culture solely. And I think company, there are companies that say that they hire, you know, for culture first, for culture first, um, can be a bit short-sighted because at the end of the day, the people do need to have some output and result. So as much as we can enjoy having them on the team, if they're not able to do the work really, really well, it's still not going to be the right fit. So it has to be a balance of both. Yeah, that's such a great point. And before we wrap up, I always like to ask a handful of lightning round questions. Mm -hmm. If you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it about? I think I would write it about how product teams can better work with, and I would obviously need a lot of help figuring out a title, <laughs> but how product teams can improve the way they work with uh, growth teams. Because I think we see a huge disparity between how involved product is with growth and how involved they think they should be. Uh, and ultimately it has a negative effect on growth teams being able to, to drive the impact that they're expected to, and they should be. Yeah, absolutely. And if you could have dinner with any celebrity, who would you choose and why? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, 
celebrity. I, are you meaning in sense of actor or traditional celebrity or people? I'm talking any, I was going very, very open-minded. So like any type of celebrity. Okay. I think I would probably go, um, this is, uh, I, I guess the obvious one, but I would probably go with Elon Musk. I think uh, there's definitely merit to meeting him and that would be very cool. Yeah. Got it. And if you were to win $10 million tomorrow, what would you spend it on? If I were to win $10 million, I would spend it on continuing the development of the software product we're working on. <laughs> then we wouldn't need to even think about VC funding because we would have just won the money. So it would basically be, uh, we, we could be our own VC fund. Nice. Um, it's been really great having you on the Remote Work Tribe podcast. Alex, where can the listeners find you online? Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, so they can find me on Twitter uh, at Alex J. Panais and also our website, which is scalemath.com. Awesome. Thank you again, Alex. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.